Thank you, Lord. Last year, I looked at the sermon that I preached the first Sunday in 2020. Can we, should we even say 2020 anymore? And I talked about the state of our union, and I started out, and I said, I'm not going to talk about our real country. I'm going to talk about our union with Jesus, but maybe I should have talked about our country because our country had a lot going on last year, and we need God as never before, but we are the light of the world. We are the salt, and this is our time. This is not our time to shrink back. It's our time to move forward. You know, the Bible says if you've run with the footmen and they've wearied you, how will you contend with the horses? And, you know, I spoke at the beginning of 2020 how we had just come through a battle. My husband, if you're visiting, was diagnosed with stage 3 gastric cancer. Very few people even live with it. They didn't think he could even withstand chemo. The doctor said, oh, he's old. Just let him go on and pass. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't know us. God has said there's some stuff we're supposed to do. We haven't done it yet. And so it's not his time. And God ended up doing a miracle. They couldn't find the tumor that was formerly in his stomach. And some marvelous things happened. But we didn't know when we got out of that battle there'd be another battle this year. And this year has been like a battle for a lot of people. Some people have not been scathed, but others have really had to fight through. And there have been various challenges that they've had to master and get through. And so we need God as never before. This is not the time to let go. This is the time to hold on. Today... Cammie mentioned the podcast. We've had some amazing sermons lately, amazing sermons. John has been on a preaching roll. John just took up the offering. John talked about No Separation and I Am. It was a worship series that was so revelatory. I've, I've heard few messages in my life, in my life, in the last 45 years like that. Uh, John preached, God is not reasonable, the set time. Sabata preached, worship to worship. And Kirk, a while back, unpacking the gospel, and he did unpack the gospel. So we have a preaching team here. You need to go on the podcast, listen to it. If you don't like today, somebody else will be up here next week. And so today, I'm just going to give a very simple message. It's nothing deep. It's nothing fancy. It's not revelatory. But sometimes when things get confusing, and when things seem chaotic, and when things seem challenging, I pull back to my basics. I go back to those foundational things that stand the test of time. And those are the things that keep you standing. See, there's shooting stars and play stars, and it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so there are a lot of leaders in the body of Christ that start great. They start with a bang, but where are they at the end? Where are they at the end of their life? And so we need to be able to stand, and there's some foundational things that we need to go back to. Basketball players, a coach will go, hey, this is a basketball. You know, this is a football. Who said that? The, the football guys will know. You know, but this is where you go back. You've got to keep refreshing yourself in the basics lest you let yourself get away. A pilot will tell you if you get one degree off at the beginning, by the time that trip is over, you'll be way off course. So we need to keep pulling our compass back and get back to the beginning. You know, one thing we're not going to talk about today for the first time in many years is resolutions. Because my gym is closed. So I don't even have to pretend I'm going to the gym. My gym went out of business. I do not have to pretend I'm going to go to the gym in two weeks when the crowds are gone. The crowds aren't there. There's a big sign out in front of it. Gym equipment for sale. This is the 24-hour fitness on the Southwest Freeway. A lot has changed. 2020, things changed quickly. I never thought that Formula 409, alcohol, and Clorox wipes would be on my birthday wish list. I never thought that when Alicia gave me 409 and Alan gave me some Palmala for Christmas, a certain kind that I couldn't, I would be so excited. You know, they, they quit making things in 2020. Things change quickly. But, you know, things can change quickly. See, things can change quickly in ways that you, things you've been expecting for a long time that suddenly can come. And so um, did you know that pajama sales 
went through the roof in 2020. They said that from March to April, online pajama sales surged 143%. 143%. But pant sales fell. Uh, 13% because people didn't really care about their bottoms on a video conference call. Now, God forbid they should get up and walk out without changing their camera, but I wish one of us would have had a word of knowledge. You know, God moves in the gifts of the Spirit here, but I wish one of us had a word of knowledge about disposable masks because disposable masks worldwide, globally, the, the, in U.S. dollars, they did $0.79 billion worth of disposable masks in 2019. billion. That's not a whole billion. It's like eight-tenths of a billion. In 2020, $166 billion in disposable masks, not counting the, uh, you know, the kind you can rewear and wash and all that, just disposable masks. So all this change ought to help us adjust to the revival that God has been prophesying because he said it will be unlike any that's ever been before. And we're getting used to things being unlike anything that's ever been before. It's been like that. And so I want to gravitate back to some simple truths. You know, sometimes when things are complex, we need to take the opposite approach, like the opposite spirit approach. Love displaces hate. So if you, people are hateful all around, you operate in love, the opposite spirit approach. Generosity will attack a poverty spirit. A soft answer, the Bible says, will turn away wrath. And so we need to get back to those basic things, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, caring about the lost, you know, the, the, like we start to get these enemy lines have been drawn in our country, and a spirit of offense has seemed to be everywhere you go. But you know what? No matter which side people are on, there are people lost, and we need to have a heart for the lost. And so even those that might think differently than we are, we want them to be saved. We want them to know Jesus. And so we need to get our heart back in our Christian walk. We live in a very upside-down world, and sometimes It makes it hard to comprehend God's view on things. And so when I start to think about God's view on things, I think in terms of, I I do alliteration a lot, and I think in terms of principles and paradoxes and priorities. And principles are fundamental laws or doctrines or assumptions. They're truths that we live by, rules, codes of conduct, a governing law that sort of, that, that charts my course. But a paradox is a statement that is seemingly contradictory And it appears opposed to common sense, but yet it's true. And priorities are the thing that is regarded as most important at the time. And what's interesting is that God often says that the way up is down. It's a paradox. He says that the way to receive is to give. That sounds paradoxical, yet it's a godly principle. The way to to have power is to go low and become weak. Paradoxical, but a godly principle. And so sometimes God inverts normal principles of society and he invades what might be our church mentality and he always challenges a religious mindset. He comes again, we get religious and don't even know it. You know, we, sometimes I go, well, so-and-so there, they weren't in their seat. You know, we're a spirit-filled church, oh, we're free in the Lord, but we sit in the exact same spot every Sunday and if somebody's in your seat, you don't know what to do. You know, we can get religious without even knowing it. We can get religious in our attitudes and in our habits. And God will do exactly what Jesus did when he walked on the face of the earth. He will offend our sensibilities. And if we only have knowledge, but we don't have understanding, we can end up operating by principles that might even sound godly, but possibly we might pick the wrong principle for the occasion. Now, 
we've got a combined understanding of principles with the law of priorities. There is always a law, but we have to see, is there a higher law that might apply at this situation, at this particular time, because of these particular circumstances? And if we're foolish, and when we're young, we try to find scriptures to back up our position. You know, we can always find a scripture to back up any crazy thought. But then we leave about 10 other scriptures out, you know, and we ignore that one. You know, you ever play scripture wars with somebody? You know, you, you say yours and they say theirs, and they're both right, but everybody's wrong. <laughs> and so we, we tend to find scriptures to rationalize our feelings instead of letting scriptures deal with ungodly attitudes. Attitudes. Anybody said to you, you've you got attitude. And maybe they said it as a compliment, but maybe they said it as not. <laughs> And so in an effort to get us in touch with basics, to give us a framework, I want to share with you 10 B attitudes. And you're going to, oh, she's going to teach out of Matthew 5. No, not at all. I'm going to really teach you what I will call Mark's 10. Mark's 10. An attitude is a complex mental state. It involves beliefs, feelings, and values, along with a disposition to act in a certain way. And I'm calling them Mark's 10 because years ago, October 2010, I read an article. It was by a man named Mark Rutland. You love Mark Rutland, Cammie, I know. And, and he talked about uh, 10 things I wish I'd known when I was 21. 10 things I wish I had known when I was 21. And he was about 63 years of age at the time. He's a very godly man. In my book, he's one of the great men of God. Now, you might not have heard of him. He might not have a great name in your circles. But you know, there are many people in heaven who are well-known in heaven. And they might not have a name that many of us know. But there's a depth and a faithfulness in their life that God knows. One time, he's even got a prophetic word. You're, you're not well-known on this earth, but you're known in heaven. Man, I, I didn't get that word. You know, you know what word I got? There are people who said very unkind things about you. And I go, can I, can I stand up again and get a different word? I didn't think anybody said unkind things about me. But then he said, but you know what? Uh, Jesus even had his Judas, so why do you think you're any different? And so, see, there are people that, that may be against us, but there may be angels in heaven rejoicing over our life, rejoicing over our life. And so Mark Rutland was nearly 63 when he wrote this article. That means he's about 73 today. And as a young man, he shared his dream to become a missionary with a group of about a dozen Christian ministers, men of God, men that he submitted to. He was about 28 years old. They were in their 50s and 60s, and he looked up to them as elders in the faith. And so he shared his dream that he had been pastoring, and he said, but I feel I'm supposed to leave the pastorate, and God has called me to the mission field. I have a burden for missions. And, and these men sat around, listened to him, and by the time the meeting was over, he had been accused of conceit grandiose delusions. They told him he'd go bankrupt. How foolish could he be? And he left very dejected. And he walked out to the parking lot and was getting in his car and he felt a hand on his shoulder. And one of the men in the meeting said, Mark, don't listen to him. And he goes, what? These are great men of God. He goes, yeah, but don't listen to him. He goes, many of them have abandoned their dream just because they did doesn't mean you have to abandon yours. And he went on to form the missionary organization called Global Servants, done a great work of God around the world. He ministered in Mexico and Colombia, many other countries, uh, set up a thing for sexually abused young women in Thailand. I mean, amazing work that he's done. 
He went on to pastor a large church, Calvary Assembly. I think was it in Florida? Then he went on to turn around Lakeland Bible College, a big Assembly of God Bible College when they were in trouble. I mean, talk about a man who could not just go in and do a good work, but turn around what's failing and make it successful. See, a turnaround. See, God wants us to turn around, get our life turned around. But then there ought to be in us the ability to turn other things around. When ORU was in a crisis, Oral Roberts University, the Hobby Lobby owners said, we want one man to do it. Now, a friend of ours was actually in the running to take over as president. Uh, There were like three ending uh, interviews, and the Hobby Lobby guy said, you know, I want Mark Rutland. If anybody can do it, Mark Rutland can. So this is a man I really respect. This is a man that didn't just start well, but he's finishing well. And to this day, he's still speaking at conferences all over. I think in the 90s, I I assigned to our leadership team a sermon that he did called Power, Not Power. Power, Not Power. And some of y'all remember that to this day. And so I'm unashamedly just sort of, and here's the book Dream. I'm I'm not on commission for Mark Rutland. But because of that dream in his heart, he wrote this book called Dream. And he accomplished his dream. But many things that we say to people either propel them toward their dream or, or, or deject them from the dream that they have. And we need to be careful of our words. But this morning, without apology, I'm going to do what I tell the preaching team, do not do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read somebody else's work. But I can't improve on this, but I'll talk about each point as we go. And so I'm going to talk about the things that Mark Rutland says he wished he had known when he was in his 60s if he were 21. Number one. Inner healing is greater than outward success. Inner healing is greater than outward success. You can have outward success in ministry and still, because of the hurt in you, be hurting people. Hurting people hurt people. I can remember in the 80s when I first started ministering on emotional healing and inner healing, a great, uh, famous man of God wrote a book about how emotional healing was not scriptural. And I'm like, whoa, what am I doing wrong? I was just this young little woman in the, in the faith sharing my testimony. And people were getting healed of wounds and things from their past, things from their childhood. And it was helping them go forward in the things of God. Uh, and, and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this. It was very confusing. So I just kept doing my little thing. Nobody had heard of me. So it's not like they were going to accuse me of anything. But later, that particular man had a great fall. And because of his great fall, because of what I believe was a lack of inner healing in his own life, he brought many people down with him. And so inner healing is greater than outward success. Childhood hurts, hidden uh, emotions, long-suppressed horrific memories can lurk underneath in the bottom of your soul, but without realizing it, it's clambering. It's like a small child that's always pushing against the things of the Spirit. And so it doesn't matter how old you are. You can still receive inner healing. But let me tell you this. If you're young in this room, get it sooner rather than later. The older you get, the more that stronghold fortifies. The older you get, the more you think, this is just normal. This is just how I am. And it's harder to believe that God wants to take that out of you. It's harder to separate it. And so right now, no matter what your age, old or young, you can receive emotional healing. But go to God. You know that prayer we pray, uh, Luke 8, 17, Lord. You know, over the country, over other people. Lord, let every hidden thing be revealed. Let everything in darkness be exposed. Pray that over yourself. Pray it over your own self. Number two, mercy is greater than justice. Mercy is greater than justice. I do not mean that we always want to just let people get away with murder and that that we don't ever have a plumb line on what is right and wrong. But in dealing with people on an individual basis, 
Sometimes we want them to get what they deserve. We do. Even we as the church, I hope they get what they deserve. How many times have you even thought that? You won't say it out loud. You won't say it in church. But if you even feel it, if there's that judgmental thing in you that wants people to get what they deserve, that's not where God is coming from. See, that's not how Jesus is. He does. If we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here today. So mercy is greater than justice. Competitiveness and legalism are the death of mercy. Mercy makes love real, makes uh, acceptance and understanding a practice, and it makes tenderness a real way of life. Be tender with others. Be tender with others. Number three, kindness is better than being right. Kindness is better than being right. And Mark goes on to talk about how uh, at age 21, because of his preaching abilities, he could pretty much talk you down. You know, you ever gotten with a good evangelist or a good preacher? They can be wrong and make it sound right. And so that gift can be perverted and used in the wrong way, and you can get confused. But he said, kindness is better than being right. He goes, sometimes I wanted to be right so bad I didn't even notice the heart of the person I was talking to. And they didn't need me to be right. They needed me to be kind and to help pull them from the place they were in. And so kindness is better than being right. It's been hard sometimes to be kind. People have not been kind during 2020. Have you noticed you go play, like nobody wants to answer the phone. Nobody wants to wait on you. Nobody really wants you there. The employees that are there don't want to be there. You know, it has been a tough year. And so kindness is sort of a, a, a scarce commodity. So you be kind. You be kind wherever you go. I've caught myself when I go into places and I'll smile and I'm like, they can't even see this smile. I've got this mask on. So how do I, how do I let my, do, can my eyes twinkle? How can I show any care or kindness toward others when nobody can even see my smile? Number four, serving is better than being served. Serving is better than being served. Some ministry models are, you serve me long enough, boy, and one day you'll get to do something. I'm telling you, you need to serve all the days of your life. Serving is better than being served. In the world, that's the model, not in the church. He said, when I was a pastor, the church that I pastored, we invited a singing group to come. He said, their list of special demands including a particular type of orange cut into equal fourths, I kid you not, was five pages long. We canceled. <laughs> we canceled. You know, uh, their, their particular list of demands. Now, when we have guest speakers in, we want to treat them right. Uh, I know someone that was a traveling evangelist. And I mean, people put them in vacant houses with no furniture. People put them uh, at places where they didn't even know how they were going to pay the hotel room because it wasn't prepaid. There, there's lots of abuse on these traveling ministers. But then it's, it's the whole opposite end of the spectrum. If you go, I need this, and I need this, and I demand that, and I demand that. There was a place uh, in the mid-'90s, uh, a women's conference was having a, 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 a whole thing of like a, a group of women come from all the different areas to a Women's Aglow conference. And they called me, and they said, we just found out that our speaker charges a minimum, and it was a pretty high dollar amount back for in that, that particular year. And they said, and we just don't have the money. Would you come? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now does this mean? <laughs> and I said, look, I said, my husband and I are pastoring. I go, we're not depending on honorariums for, for, to make a living. I go, I want to come. I'm not going to charge you a penny. I said, let's just see what God does. To this day, it was the most supernatural weekend I have ever experienced in all my life. See, requiring nothing, asking for nothing, and just saying, I'll serve, I'll give, God will bless you more exceedingly abundantly than you can ask, dream, or imagine. 
I remember that the supernaturalness of that, those meetings will never leave my mind. And so sometimes you just need to give. You just need to serve. You just need to freely go and, and just pour out of what you have. Number five, brokenness is the doorway to wholeness. Now, nobody likes to say they're broken. Nobody likes to admit they've got a problem. See, no, nobody likes to, I remember somebody, they, they said, I said, well, you know, there's probably some things that God wants to deal with in you. They go, well, I don't want to think that there's anything wrong with me. And I go, there is something wrong with you. There's always something wrong with all of us that God is transforming and, and changing. I go, like, see, don't hold on to this idea that I've got to be okay. I've got to put this mask on or what are people going to think of me? Get real. See, get real, even inside the church. In the early days of our ministry, some of the young people used to go, we like it here because y'all don't pretend. Y'all don't have masks on. You know, and they were used to that. You had to come into church and look a certain way and act a certain way, but sometimes it wasn't even real. Now, we're not saying we don't want transformation to happen. We're not saying we don't want progress in our Christian walk, but we need to get real, and brokenness is often the doorway to wholeness. Mark Rutland said, if I had known that brokenness was the key to my healing, it would have lifted so much fear from me. I thought that brokenness would maim me or kill me, but now I know there's very little wholeness that does not emerge from true brokenness. God can fix you. God can fix you. You're broke, but he can fix you. Number six, truth is liberating and devastating. The Bible says that the truth will make you free. But sometimes just hearing the truth, you know, one time Easy used to love everybody and go, oh, I love that person. I love that person. I go, but do you know this about him? He goes, I just love him. I just love him. But see, then when he started knowing the truth about him, that's when it's really hard to love. <laughs> see, the truth can be devastating, but it can also be liberating in your life. And so, you know, sometimes you don't want to see the truth even in your own life. And so you may not like what you see, but what you see will be the doorway to getting to that place of freedom that God really has for you. Um, keep it real. Uh, Mark Rutland says, had, had I known not to fear the truth about myself and know that the temporary misery of truth was going to be worth it to find the freedom that it brings. The temporary misery of truth, even about ourselves, will be worth it in the end. Number seven, learning is greater than education. Learning is greater than education. Uh, when he uh, wrote this article, he was actually the president of Oral Roberts University at that time. And so he wasn't saying, he wasn't putting a low value on education. He was the president of a college. He had been a president of a college before that. He had been to seminary. He was a very, actually, very educated man. But what he's saying is he just tried to get through school to get that degree, but he didn't really care about learning anything. And so we don't want people to be like that. Cammie just got through nursing school. We hope that she just didn't go through the classes to get that, that little certificate. We hope that she actually learned something and if she's going to walk into our room and take care of us. And so, see, there's a big difference between education and learning. Education, and I mean, we won't call names or anything, but I heard her say, you know, there were some people in the class that got hired and they were making C's and didn't know where your pancreas was. And I'm thinking, ooh, I hope they're not the nurse in my room if I end up going there. And so education is something we need to value. Learning is, is something that is higher, though. It's a higher priority. Um, gaining, giving is sweeter than gaining. John already addressed that. See, giving is sweeter than gaining. It's not about what you get. 
And so, you know, there's, a jo- there's nothing that I've given. There's a lot of possessions that we've bought over the years. And, you know, as the older you get, the more, and I'm like, when did we buy this? What was this even for? We don't use this anymore. Oh, I bought that, and I've never been able to fit into that. And so, you know, there's all these things that we wish we had our money back. But there's nothing I've ever given to the Lord that I wish I had my money back. Never. Because if you give it unto the Lord, you're not going to regret it. And so I thank God for the sacrifices we made over the years that we planted into the kingdom. And there's going to be eternal reward on that. It's not something I'm going to have to give away or something I'm going to have to put in the pile to, to see who wants this, who can use this. And so giving is sweeter than gaining. Number nine, forgiveness doesn't fix everything. Forgiveness doesn't fix everything. Mark Rutland says this is probably one of the most sobering truths that he ever explained to people because there are things in relationships and hearts that's once broken cannot really be fixed by forgiveness. See, when you're young, you think, oh, if I hurt them, I'll just ask for forgiveness. But if you hurt them enough, even if they forgive you, they may never be the same. They may never be the same. So forgiveness, while it's important, while it's good, while it's excellent, It can't fix everything. So before you act, before you speak that thing, before you make that rash decision, think about the repercussions. Think about the consequences. You may need to ask forgiveness. Don't don't delay doing that. But it doesn't always fix the damage. And so in Jesus' name, try to make decisions that don't require you to constantly be asking forgiveness. He says, when I was 21, I just wanted to be forgiven. Now that I'm older, I just wish I had done less damage. Number 10. Now, number 10 is really funny because a few years ago, I posted a post on Facebook, and I put, uh, prayer is more effective than persuasion. And then one of my spiritual sons, who pastors in Dalhart, reposted it, and he put my name on it. And then somebody else reposted it, and they gave me credit and put my name on it. And not until I was looking at my notes last night did I realize I never said that. Mark Rutland said that. (laughs) But it got in me. And so things that you hear that are all around you get in you. So take heed what you hear. Be careful who you're listening to. If you listen to the word enough, it'll get in you. And it'll just feel second nature to you like it's part of you. And so Mark Rutland is the one that said prayer is more powerful than persuasion. We can spend hours trying to talk somebody into something. You know, I do a lot of counseling, and I'll talk and talk and talk, and after three hours, I'm like, that, they got it. I convinced them. They got it. They, this is going to be the key for them. And two days later, they don't even think it anymore. And I'm like, all my persuasion went right down the drain. But, you know, sometimes if you pray for somebody, and God opens up a, a, a compartment in their heart, And God does something that's needed to be done, not just in the ear, but in the heart. See, prayer is more powerful than persuasion. And so if we're not careful, we'll get to a a place of relying on our gifts, relying on what we know, relying on the word that we've walked in, relying on the sermon that we preach, relying on the godly principles that, that we know to be true instead of praying, instead of praying, instead of praying. And so what are we putting a higher value on? What are we saying is most important? Our thoughts, our words? prayer. And so we need to get back in 2021 to know that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman avails much. See, our prayers are not in vain. All of our talking, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it can only go so far. 
And so we need to get back to the habit of prayer, to the prayers of intercession, prayers of supplication, prayers of, of submission, prayers of relinquishment, every type of prayer. And let it be a two-way street, a communication with God. Not just us giving a wish list, not just us telling God what we want to do, but listening to see if there's something he might say, something we need to do, something he might tell us. He might have even told you to invest in disposable masks last year, and this, right this minute you'd be a millionaire. But right now we need to listen to God as never before. It's, it's a time when it's a sensitive time. Uh, Mark Rutland said, I would not want to be 21 again, but if I had to be, these are the things I would like to know. When you think back, what are the things you wish you knew now, you wish you knew then that you know now? See, but thank God for what you know now. Thank God for what he's brought you through. Thank God for the fact that he has transformed you and he has changed your mindsets. And so right now, I just want God to keep transforming us, to keep changing our mind toward him, to keep giving us not just godly principles, but principles with the right priority on them. And even if they sound paradoxical, we're willing to do it. See, God is not reasonable, John preached. And so sometimes God might tell you to do a thing that's counterintuitive to natural common sense. Now, I tell people, don't, don't just think everything that's not common sense is what you should do. But when God says it, God's word trumps common sense. And so right now, I just thank God for this congregation. Father, I thank you for every person of the sound of my voice. Stand to your feet with me. I thank you, Lord, that as we go forth in 2020, God, there will be a great expectancy. We will not lose hope. We will not give up. God, we will continue to grow in wisdom and understanding, God, and we know that your promises are true. Lord, I thank you that there will be a resurgence of healing. Lord, at the beginning of 2020, we began to talk about all the healings that we had had the six months previous to that, and then we got shut down. God, I thank you for no shutdown, God, but for a moving forward. I thank you that we will reach out our hand to heal. I thank you for a death to this COVID virus. Father, I thank you right now to give us wisdom, to give us strength. Father, I thank you that we will have the strength for the days ahead, and the church will be a shining light. And so, Father, I just thank you right now for every person in this room. Meet us at the point of our need. Lord, let us call to mind the things that, that you would want us to remember in times of crisis, in times of challenge. But, Lord, more than that, let us be so in tune with your still, small voice day by day that we will hear you say, this is the way, walk ye in it, and we will obey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.